1: Boy, I just got finished watching videos on uh the website uh related to the guests that we're going to be hearing from today and um, what moving what moving stories. Um, we're going to be talking with Josh Marino who um, is a Purple Heart veteran who conquered PTSD and depression thanks to a stray kitten. And we're going to be talking to Carol Novello, who is the founder of Mutual Rescue. And uh, indeed, that was uh, the organization that had, that was one of the videos that I watched uh, about Josh and his cat. And this is an organization that in fact uh, highlights the Mutual Rescue part of, in other words, not just adopting kittens and dogs. Because of what we do for them, but how important it is in terms of what they do for us, us humans <laughs> so and I know about this um, firsthand. I have adopted uh, three cats. I currently have two of them uh, adopt- I had adopted one before uh, as well and um, it is it is well pets in general are amazing. And um, when you adopt them, it can be, and especially, it's just something very special than, rather than just going to the, <laughs> go the pet store and looking in the window and how much is that doggy in the window kind of thing. So um, welcome to the show, Carol and Josh.
2: We're glad to be here.
1: Okay, why don't we, um, why don't we start with Carol because I, I'm, I'd like you to talk, talk about the the concept, where Mutual Rescue came from, how you got connected with Josh, and all of that, and then we'll hear Josh's story. Sure.
2: Well, Mutual Rescue came about because people uh-huh. would, uh, and there is my dog, actually, I barking in the say. background. I have, uh, <laughs> I have to apologize. Uh, she's a rescue as well. She wants to be part of the show. Um, So Mutual Rescue came about because people would often ask me um, why I was helping animals when I could be helping people. So um, in addition to being founder of Mutual Rescue, I'm also president of Humane Society Silicon Valley, and I found that very interesting when people would ask me that. I used to be in the high-tech world, and I transitioned into animal welfare. And that was, you know, people's response a lot of the time. And what I saw with the work that we're doing is that, in fact, when we rescue animals more often than not, they're really rescuing us. And so as we thought about how do we really help people understand that concept, um, I was sharing that with uh, a creative producer and said, gosh, you know, I'm doing a presentation out in the community trying to educate people about this, but what could we do to really make this more magical? Mm -hmm. And he actually uh, coined the phrase mutual rescue and said, you know what, let's make short films that really depict the impact these animals are having on people's lives. So we decided that we um, wanted to go ahead and make an initial short film to show people what we were talking about, and then put that out there to ask people to submit stories so that we could make more films. And our first film, Eric and Petey, uh, went insanely viral. Um, It was released in February of 2016, and since that time has been viewed more than 100 million times across the globe. And um, as we put that film out, we also put out a call for stories, and Josh submitted his story. Uh, about his cat Scout and we were so incredibly moved by it as were all of our story evaluators and our story judges and his story just flew up to the top of the list as being one of the next films that we wanted to create and in fact people have had an overwhelming response to Joss's film as well last time I looked I think 22 million people have seen that uh, film across the globe, across various social media platforms so the message that we're getting out there is really quite powerful and is really resonating with folks.
1: Well, I think that that was a very important way of doing that. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, and that idea of um, how much it's helping people certainly comes through in the films. I watched Eric and Petey, and that is very moving. Um, how, well, how did you get in touch with him to do the first one? How did you know to do the, start with that?
2: Yeah, well, so Eric had adopted Petey from Humane Society of Silicon Valley, and he had emailed us his before and after photos. So he had lost a tremendous amount of weight um, after he had adopted Petey. A naturopathic physician recommended to him that he go adopt a shelter dog in order to help him lose weight. So he had sent his before and after pictures, shared his story with us, and as I was going out into the community with my Why Helping Animals Helps People presentation, he had given me permission to share his story. So I was always, uh, I was already sharing his story informally when we then decided that we were going to do something bigger and share uh, in a broader way. And that's mm-hmm. why we started with his story out of the gate. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, his story is really amazing. I, I love the, you know, he talks about how um, because he was, Middle-aged and very overweight, and how his doctor told him to uh, buy a a funeral uh, plot, a burial plot, Um, and then he he looked for a dog who was also middle-aged and overweight, and the two of them went on this journey together, uh, getting healthier. And of course, you know, it, it was sad, and and Josh has kind of the same. The same situation, I mean, his story is very different, but still, um, the idea of the animal dying, like you become, this animal, in both cases, were literally lifesavers, and then when, uh, down the road, when the animals die, it is so devastating. Tell us, I mean, um, in Eric and Petey... I mean, in the end, he adopted a, a second dog and, you know, is having enjoy, continuing on his journey and also with the dog doing that, uh, running marathons and so on. Um, but I mean, that, that must be, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you, have you come across cases where, uh, when the animal dies that the person sort of goes back to,
2: falls apart? Well, I think it 's always difficult when you lose someone that you love, and so many of us um, you know view the pets in our lives as family members and so mm-hmm. it, it is definitely painful um, when an animal passes. I you know recently had to put one of my um, cats to sleep; he was at the end of his life because of kidney disease, and it it is devastating and it is painful. I think that um, what I what I personally focus on and I recommend people to focus on is that, you know, these animals have brought so much goodness into our lives, and, um, you know, the reason why it hurts so much is just because there uh, has been so much love there, and that's the piece to really, you know, focus on and kind of help you get through the challenging times of, of losing an animal. What really does help um, is to welcome a new animal into your life. And for everyone, you know, that timing is different. But, you know, Eric went on to adopt another animal, and uh, that, you know, filled um, a place in his heart. It certainly didn't replace Petey, um, but it enabled him to, you know, not backslide. And he did backslide a little bit when, when Petey died. He, you know, was feeling lonely and was starting to eat more, and that's when he realized, you know what, I need to get... I need to get another dog, mm-hmm. and um, I, I won't speak for Josh, but I know that um, you know he's got uh, additional cats in in his life as well, and oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so you know I think we always keep a special place in our heart for the animals that have touched us, and getting another animal doesn't take away from that love. It really expands our capacity to love, and I know for each of the animals that I've had in my life that um, there's a piece of my heart that's only theirs, uh, but then it causes me to grow my heart bigger to welcome a new animal into my life. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I know. Um, There's that feeling at first um, you don't want to replace, I mean, nothing can replace the animal that you love, but then then something happens to tell you it's the right time. Well, why don't let's, um, Josh Marino... Is a decorated military veteran. He has earned a huge number of commendations, medals, and awards. He had eight plus years of active duty. Uh, he won the Army Achievement Medal, the Combat Action Badge, the the Army Commendation Medal, several Good Conduct medals, and a Purple Heart. He was wounded in battle in Iraq when an explosive detonated. Uh, an explosive device detonated within. Feats of him, he sustained a concussion or concussions, Um, and I'll let you tell the story. Go ahead. You Uh, wanted to change that?
3: (laughs) Well, yeah, it was it was multiple concussions. It was actually multiple mortars that exploded Mm. very close to me. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's something where you you have a traumatic brain injury. It's multiple concussions all at the same time. And at that point, this was back in two thousand seven. This was before we knew much about what. Traumatic brain injuries really are, and what they can implicate in somebody's recovery
2: hmm
1: and then uh, in addition to that, you had extreme anxiety, depression, and PTSD and um, I-, I wasn't really and and then you came home I mean it, it, your encounter with the cat <laughs> that changed your life was when you were back in the states is that right
3: that's right yeah we we were we, uh, we redeployed back to Fort Riley, Kansas, in uh, early 2008, and we were back on post by I would say April or May of 2008. So for that summer, I was uh, I knew something was wrong with me. I wasn't acting the same as I as I had before the deployment, and I uh, I started to to notice that people were treating me differently. Mm. So I stopped really hanging around with all of, my, all of my friends that I had spent so much time with for the longest time, and I started hanging out with people that really didn't know who I was before deployment, so they couldn't hmm. judge me for what I had become. Uh huh. So over the course of the summer, it was, uh, it was kind of a whirlwind, but eventually it got to the point where I realized that I had been pushing myself away from everybody else, and to me it felt like nobody really wanted to deal with me anymore. You know, in hindsight, I realized that it was me. It was it was to the point where I was just I was tired of the pain, and I just I had made the decision to end it.
1: Well, so wait a So you're talking about the people who were treating you differently were the people who you served with um, in the military, or the people when you came back home who you had known from before?
3: Oh, the people that I served with. There's a there's this thing in the military where it's uh, <laughs> in the army we called it the suck, and dr- suck it up and drive on mentality. And there's a a bad thing that comes around with what we call invisible injuries, PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, concussions, stuff like that, where if it doesn't appear that you have an injury or you you don't have an illness, then appearances are truth. Then you must not have that injury. You must not have that illness. And if you know that you have an illness, if you know that something's wrong with you and nobody is acknowledging that fact, it really starts to weigh on you. And that's what happened to me. That's what really started driving me into into despair, really.
1: And did you um, what did you seek help from um, therapists, psychiatrists in the in the military?
3: I did. I uh, I actually saw some psychiatrists and psychologists on post through the military, and uh, they all pretty much told me the same thing that you know this was this was PTSD. I was going to have to deal with it in whichever way that I could. Uh, one of the worst things about PTSD is that it's it's never the same for. For every individual, it's it's always different. It's always based off of what the individual went through and what they're they're feeling on any given day, really. But each one of the people that I was working with, they didn't really understand what I had gone through. In fact, what I what I had told people ever since then was that those people didn't have the same type of experience of having boots on the ground and actually mm. being in the combat zone.
1: Mm. And
3: that lack of relation, it really it built a a gulf in between me and the the psychiatrist, or the psychologist. And to me, it just got to the point where it felt like they weren't helping me because they didn't understand me.
1: Hmm. So this was back in the States that you sought help? Yes. Uh uh-huh. yes, it was. I mean, I guess, um, you know, I commend you for seeking help because I know a lot of people in the military, uh, it feels like it's not macho if you actually ask for help. But... Um, but that is an unfortunate situation when the people, the helpers, you know, the mental health professionals really don't have a clue about what you've been through.
3: Well, the good thing is that in the years since, there's been great advances made with the, uh, in the fields of psychiatry and psychology within the military.
1: Mm-hmm. People are
3: in those professions, they're starting to realize that, uh, that these illnesses and these injuries are multifaceted, and they're always going to be different with every individual that they're mm-hmm. working with. Mm-hmm. So they're really approaching it from a, a more holistic standpoint. But back in 2007, 2008, there really wasn't that avenue of approach.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. So there you were. So now well, what state was it that you were in when in this time um when you met Scout?
3: I was on Fort Riley in, in uh Manhattan, Kansas with the 1st Infantry Division.
1: Okay. So take us back to that night. I'm sorry. I, inter- I interrupted, but I needed these background <laughs> questions uh, answered. That's all right. Go ahead.
3: Well, I had uh I had been thinking about uh ending my life for a while. I had uh For me, as I was growing up, my mother always told me that there was never any problem so severe that you should take such a permanent action. Mm -hmm. And that's really one of the things that guided my life. I I had been depressed before, but I never thought about taking my own life. But for the past several months of, of dealing with the constant pain and the anxiety and the hyper alertness and hyper vigilance, it wore me down to the point where I had convinced myself that my mom, my father my friends would all understand what I was doing because I was trying to escape from the pain. So I wrote up a quick letter explaining myself, and I left it on my computer and arranged everything in my barracks room so it would be ready for me when I came back, and I took the last cigarette that I had out of a package and went outside to smoke the last cigarette of my life. And there I was. I, I lit up, and it started to rain, and lo and behold, as I'm sitting there, you know, just thinking about what I had to do, what I was going to do, little meow came out of the out of the bushes right next to me and it was the last thing i expected at that point in time but he was he was this little kitten little ball of fluff black and white just kind of walked up to me and he was soaking wet and he's looking at me and he's wondering what i was doing and of course he reaches up and grabs hold of my knee and for anybody who's ever dealt with a kitten before
1: Uh, wait 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 wait. let me i don't know if you heard the music let's Let's uh, stop oh. right there before before your first contact, <laughs> before okay, your first okay. direct contact, <laughs> and we to take a break. Um, we do need to take uh, these breaks, quick breaks. Everyone will certainly stay tuned to hear the rest of this story. Uh, my guests today are Josh Marino and Carol Novello. We're going to come back with their stories, and we're talking about um, mutual rescue. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: the experts call toll-free right now one
0: 472 5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question that's one 472 5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help
1: and welcome back to Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today are Carol Novello. She is the founder of Mutual Rescue, which is a national initiative that highlights the life-changing power of human-animal relationships, and particularly illustrating this through films of stories. And Josh Marino is one of these most um, heartwarming stories. And um, before the break or when we took the break, he was right on the verge of telling us about uh, his his meeting with or the popping up of this adorable little cat right at the moment when he needed it most, when he had decided to take his own life. So why don't you take it from there?
3: Uh, it was probably the worst decision that I ever made, and it was going to be my last decision. But as I as I sat there on the the back stoop of the barracks, and it was you know pretty dark out, and the rain was really starting to come down, the uh, the thing that really surprised me was this little tiny meow that came out of the bushes next to me. And uh, I've always had cats all throughout my life, my childhood, and I always love to you know just give them a little scratch on the head, and that's kind of why I did with this one. I didn't really put too much thought into it, gave him a little pat, but he crept closer and he kept crying at me. And as anybody who's ever had a kitten knows, they have little needles for claws. And that's what this little one was using. He, he reached up and grabbed the hold of my knee when I started to stand up to head back inside. He pulled me right back down. So I sat there and I pulled him up onto my lap and I guess it was just the, uh, the feeling that something else was caring for me. But it really made me break down. And it was the first time in, well, almost a couple of years that I had really felt wanted or needed Ever since the injury that I had, it was just breaking me down, and I was back up to the point where I was, you know, ready to take my own life. And suddenly, there was this little creature that was telling me that it was the wrong decision to make. So I sat there for the better part of an hour with a soaking wet BDUs and a soaking wet cat in my lap, and I went in and a, a much better man than I was whenever I walked out that door.
1: And so, what did you you could did you bring the cat in the bunk?
3: Oh well. There's a long story there. I, I actually didn't bring the cat into the barracks at first. Now, at that night, I, I let him get back down with the rest of his litter mates. There, <clears throat> there was a group of them that were living in the boiler room underneath our barracks. Mm. But every day after work, I would go outside with a paper plate and a, a little packet of tuna and smack the tuna off the heel of my hand. And all these little kittens and cats would come running out from underneath the huh. barracks to get the free food. And of course, there was my little tuxedo cat who'd wander out with them and he would get his share of the tuna and then run right over to me and jump up on my lap and chill out for a little bit. So it, 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 became, a, it became a daily thing. It was one of the things that I really looked forward to every day was going and seeing my little kitty. Of course, we weren't allowed to have cats in the barracks. Otherwise, I would have scooped them up and taken them inside immediately, mm-hmm. but that just wasn't the case. But then it, it came around that uh, a few months later, I came out to, to give the, the tuna packet to the kitties, and they were all gone. None of them came around whenever I was calling. So I talked with some of the people that were around the barracks for most of the day and they informed me that the animal control unit had come by and had Mm. collected all those strays up. So that kind of crushed me right then and there, and I didn't know what to do. But by that point in time, that little kitty had really had a a really good effect on me. And I had really turned not just one corner, but, you know, I did a a complete 180, and I was really on my way back to recuperation. Mm Mm-hmm. And? Well and a couple months later I was uh I proposed to my girlfriend at the time and uh that led to some well, of course, anybody proposing to their significant other is gonna have a a lot of good stories and and I do have quite a few about that. But the best story that involved Scout was whenever my wife, my fiance at the time, came out to visit me in Fort Riley over the Memorial Day weekend of two thousand nine. And uh it was a really hot weekend and she really wanted to go to the pool, but she had forgotten to bring a, ba- a bathing suit with her. So we went down to the PX to get ourselves a uh, some swimming clothes. And on our way into the post exchange, we noticed that the animal shelter had set up all these crates and, and boxes and each one of them had a little critter inside of it. And, you know, my wife, she looked at it and says, oh, I want to see if they have a, a nice little kitty that I can adopt. And I said, sure, why not? So we walked through those those rows of boxes and crates and out of nowhere this little black and white paw shoots out of one of these crates and starts smacking me in my arm and I looked in there and lo and behold it was the it was my little kitten, a few months older, but it was the same guy. Mm. So I did I didn't even wait to to pick the, the crate up and take it up to the people and say, I need to adopt this cat. Instead I just pulled him right out of the crate and gave him a big old hug right then and there.
1: That's such an amazing story that you got reunited.
3: And basically,
1: that he recognized you, and (laughs) again, you know, um, he had missed you, and he was just
3: looking to get some tuna.
1: Oh, (laughs) come on! (laughs) It's funny. Did you, after you were told that um, that uh, that animal rescue uh, or animal control had been there, did you not think about trying to find him?
3: Oh, no, I absolutely thought about trying to find him. I did try to go and find them.
1: Uh-huh. The, uh,
3: from what I knew about the post, I had no idea where the animal control unit was or where they were operating out of. And I, I also didn't know that they would, if they were turn over any animals to shelters within the area or if they were euthanizing them all or, hmm. or what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I feared the worst. I feared that my, my little buddy was going to be put to sleep, and I didn't know what to do. But like I said, by that time, I'd really turned a corner, and I had somebody who was helping me build a support network. And, you know, later on, she would become my wife. But at that point in time, she explained to me that, you know, everything happens for a reason. There was a reason why he, he popped his little head out of the bushes when he did, and there was a reason why he disappeared when he did.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: at the time, I didn't know what that reason was. And I, I guess there wasn't a reason why he disappeared. There was just a reason that he was going to take a hiatus for a little bit. He would be back in my life soon. hmm So
1: yeah. at that point, when you um, when you found him again, um, were you still in the barracks, or were you, how did you care for him?
3: Well, that's where the where the long story comes from here. Yeah. Um, he uh, I I adopted him, and it was funny. At the same time, my wife also adopted a, another cat, a small white female. And uh, we brought them back to the barracks and kind of snuck them inside up into my room. And we sat there on my bed looking at these two crates with two cats in them. And, you know, we, we decided that, yes, she was going to uh, take her cat home with her on the plane, which would be fine. But we didn't know what I was going to do with this cat who we yeah. had named Scout. So I decided that, you know, I, I only had about maybe a, a month and a half to two months worth of time left before I was supposed to be separated from the military. I said, you know what, I think I could probably keep him a, a well-known secret here in the barracks. And that's the way he was for a few weeks until all of a sudden there was a, a health and welfare inspection when the oh. higher-ups came through every single room and I was called back to the barracks from the motor pool and I got there and as I was walking down the hallway, I see here comes Scout wandering down the hallway towards me and I'm saying, oh no, what are you doing out? You're not supposed to be out. And that's when I saw the first sergeant. Uh. And she told me that, okay, the cat's got to go. So... She wanted me to actually uh, surrender the cat to another shelter. I refused. Instead, I uh, got in contact with one of my buddies who had a private residence, and he was more than happy to watch Scout for the rest of my time that I was going to be on post. Oh, wow. uh, He was able to take care of Scout, and every day after work, I would go right over there, and it was almost like, you know, almost like when I first met the little guy. I'd go over to his house, and I'd crack open a can of tuna and sit there and feed the cat (laughs) and give him all sorts of pets. and.
1: It was mm-hmm. nice. It was, it, mm-hmm. Again, it was
3: something that I looked forward to.
1: Well, how did um, uh, how did the, the your higher ups find the cat? I mean, where was he in your barracks? Where did you try to hide him?
3: Oh, he was just hiding inside of my room. Our, our barracks. Uh, I was I was lucky enough to have a, a private room. So when they open up my room, they see. You know, a well-made bed, a, a well-cleaned floor, a nice tidy desk, and oh, what's this? Hold on, there's a cat sleeping in the middle of the bed. <laughs> One of these things does not belong, so that, that's kind of how that happened. But, I see. <laughs> like I said, it wasn't too far before me actually being separated, so I knew I wasn't going to let go of this, this little guy again. I wasn't going to lose the opportunity that I had, so I just wanted to hold on to him. So mm-hmm. every day I made the trip over to my buddy's house to take care of my little kitty, and eventually... He followed me on out the the post main gate.
1: hmm And the, and then you got married, and then you now you have uh, forecasts. Is it?
3: Well, that's that's really spooling a whole lot of years into into one sentence. But oh yeah, well, that's yes, about right. Because, yeah. wait a second. That's right.
1: I'm remembering now in the movie. Why don't you tell us the next part? Yeah.
3: We uh, well we my wife and I we we drove back from Kansas to uh, our hometown here in Pittsburgh. And uh, the entire route was was a real hoot because Scout didn't want to sleep in his crate and said he wanted to ride on my lap the whole way home. So there was that. It made for a really fun multi-day trip. But whenever we got back, it was you know trying to integrate myself and Scout into my wife's family, into her her household of you know three other cats and herself and. Then I had to find myself and what I was supposed to be doing. And you know, coming out of the military, I had no real plans. I know I wanted to go into school, but I didn't know for what. And I know that I wanted to live, live a, a very happy, healthy life with my wife, but I didn't know how to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: didn't have a support structure set up. I really wasn't working with the VA too much, and I didn't know what to do. But luckily enough, my uh, my mother-in-law happened to work with the VA at that point in time, so she got me in touch with a couple of people to start working on my GI bill, start working with vocational rehabilitation. And I realized that, you know, I had I was lucky enough to have Scout to help me turn the page, to help me get past my depression and get past the, the PTSD and, and the suicidal thoughts and ideology. And a lot of other guys and girls out there, they don't have that, that working for them. So I wanted to fill that void. I wanted to be that person that my psychiatrist couldn't be. I wanted to be the counselor that had that experience with boots on the ground and have mm-hmm. uh, I've been to the dark places where these people are coming from. So I decided to go to school for clinical rehabilitation and mental health counseling. And that's where I am today. So I'm a happily married man with four cats in the household, two fairies, uh, a bouncing 16-month-old baby girl and oh, wow. living the dream. But unfortunately, you know, some things, they don't last. And, and one of those things was my Scout. Okay. There was a night that came around. Uh, we got back from a, a trip to my mother's house in, in Washington, D.C. And when we came back to the house, when, when normally a Scout would bounce up to the door and greet me right there with all sorts of meows and purrs, he didn't come. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong. Well, when I found him, he was so listless and so lethargic. We took him to the vet, and they did blood tests, and they found out that he had leukemia. Not feline leukemia, not the, not the contagious kind, but this was actual cancer. And he only had about two weeks to a month to live.
1: Hmm. So So, how hard was that on you?
3: Well, it's hard enough that I still tear up and choke up about talking about it right now. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it was rough. It was the, uh, the idea that this little guy saved my life. And I couldn't do anything to save his.
2: Mhm,
3: mhm. Well, we did what we could. We tried to make his last few weeks with us as comfortable as possible.
1: How old was he when he died he was
3: he couldn't have been any older than three years old. He passed away in twenty eleven in the fall
1: hmm. Hmm.
3: he was well, very I'm, young
1: he was what
3: he was very young, but as uh-huh. as the old saying goes, you know the the candle that burns twice as bright burns <laughs> you know, twice as fast mhm
1: mhm mhm-. Well, I'm sure those years were um, were ones in which he felt very loved, as well as you feeling that from him. I like to um, think so. Car- Carol, do you, do you, would you like to comment on some of the things that uh, Josh was t-
2: telling us about? Well, I think you know Josh's story, as as he's outlined it, really is just so amazing in terms of highlighting how much joy and um, just how much impact. Animals can have in our life, and we were just so delighted when he wanted to share his story. It's a it's a very moving story and incredibly brave of him to want to share it to help yes. other veterans, other people, as well as encourage um, people to go out and adopt homeless animals for the impact that they can have in your own life.
1: Yes, you know, as you're saying it, it makes me think. Um, do you, uh, Josh, in your work that you do with veterans, do you encourage them to adopt animals?
3: I don't necessarily encourage everybody, but yes, I do put that information out there. I, I explain to them how much it's helped me, but it's it has to be a case-by-case basis because some people aren't necessarily ready for that commitment or, or for that responsibility. Some people might not financially be able to do it or they might not have the logistics to take care of an animal. Mm-hmm. Some veterans are are really hard up. We have a, a huge population of homeless veterans here in the United States.
1: Mm-hmm. To me,
3: that's just, it's appalling to, to know that that statistic mm-hmm. exists. But these are veterans that, you know, if they have a house, if they have, even if they're not on a path to bettering themselves or going to school or, or looking for another job or something like that, if they're feeling so down that they, they can find some sort of solace in a, a purring critter in their lap or something, then absolutely, I'm going to suggest it to them. And even if they can't take care of an animal on their own, then maybe they can come and visit me in my house. Or I can meet them at the park. Or we can go out and visit the uh, the local animal shelter just to see.
1: Mm-hmm. You now, this isn't
3: something where they have to, to commit, but just the interaction itself, sometimes that can be the best medicine, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, now that makes me think about, Carol, you do a thing... Um, what is it called, the Doggy
2: Day? or Doggy Day Out program, yeah. So there are shelters all across the country that are implementing Doggy Day Out programs where you can go and take a shelter dog out for the afternoon. So it's a low commitment. Um, you know, not a lot of training is required. So if you go to mutualrescue.org, you can, there's a tab there that says Doggy Day Out, and that highlights um, various shelters across the country that have those programs And for shelters that are interested in implementing a program, we have a toolkit that they can download that can help them get started and and get a program implemented, and and then we can list them on our directory as well. You know, I
1: would imagine that that's something that would be very much uh, taken advantage of by people, that people would love as long as they knew about it. I, I, I guess the hard part is getting this information out to more people.
2: Right, exactly. And that's one of the roles that Mutual Rescue is taking. There are um, a lot of you know local communities or local shelters that have these programs, but l- budgets are limited. And by bringing attention to the program at the national level and then driving people to interact mm. at the local level, mm-hmm. we think we can um, do a lot to advance the program. And what's great is as, you know, Josh was talking about the benefits of the human um, interacting with the animal. But the other thing that's great is the animals are getting exercise, and because there's a bond that's created, you know, a lot of times people that take the dogs out for Doggy Day Out, they help advocate for that animal and help it get adopted, whether they're posting a picture on their social media or telling mm-hmm. their friends. Um, so it's a, it's a great program, and it works on many levels.
1: Are you going to do that for cats? I mean, not to take them out This is are park, will, cats like a little harder
2: to go out for a day. Um, but there are a lot of shelters that are doing uh, fostering programs for cats. So um, I mean,
1: what I'm thinking of is, um, and I don't know how prevalent it is, but I've heard like on the radio about some cafes. What are they, cat cafes? or Cat cafes, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are cat
2: cafes where you have an opportunity to go and, and interact with, uh, with cats. Uh, a lot of times those are rescue cats that are looking for homes, so that's another, uh, it's another possibility as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, here's, here's the music again for another break. Uh, we will come back. My guests are Carol Novello, who's the founder of Mutual Rescue, and Josh Marino, who is a decorated military veteran. Um, and who is now um, working, helping vets, giving them the help that he wished he would have had um, in the service. So we will be back with more of their stories and more of how I hope we're sort of um, titillating you um, a, a, in terms of maybe adopting a pet or at least um, taking one out for the day uh, or you know something like that, because these are. These are really heartwarming stories, so stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: We're on the cutting edge of social media.
3: Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. It's a very heartwarming show today. Um, I will, at the end, give you the website again that you should go to to watch the heartwarming story of Josh Marino, a decorated veteran who um, wounded was wounded in, in battle in Iraq, and um, his amazing story of a little cat, beautiful little cat who saved his life. Um, and, uh, Carol Novello, who is the founder of Mutual Rescue, whose aim it is to, um, perpetrate this idea, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's not just an idea, it's to get people to know about actually the truth that, um, it isn't just about rescuing cats and dogs, it's the, it's that these cats and dogs rescue people, um, and, uh, of course, this is perfect. You know, we're just past Memorial Day recently, and May was also National Adopt a Cat Month. So um, we're a little, we're, we're almost in May. Um, yes. And, um, you know, it is, I think one of the things that's amazing about your story, Josh, is that, you know, with all these decorations, including the Purple Heart and all of that, um, you know the the fact that I mean I think obviously you were very brave to get all of these awards decorations and so on, um, but I think what probably took even more bravery was telling this story uh, about the cat who this little this little kitten who saved your life because um, that was kind of risking. Did you think about that people were going to think that you were soft or um, you know that this was. I mean, this is it. Like what, oh, what you might have wanted, um, or or that the military wants people to think of as the macho image of the military.
3: No, you're absolutely correct. And I, I on uh, several fronts, I, I was. Confronted with that, um, I saw a couple of people who I had served with. Where you know they saw the film and you know, oh, what is this? You know, oh, he he wasn't blown up like that, or or this, that, and the next thing. It's like no, you know, sometimes for films they have to take from stock images, and I've I've explained to people exactly why I did this. It wasn't for me to I, I'm not I'm not doing this for fame, trust me. But it wasn't it wasn't for fame. It wasn't for notoriety. It was the fact that this is a story that needs to be told because. I'm not the only one who felt this way before. I'm not the only person who's gone through something like this. And if this is something that had to, had provided me so much help, so much assistance, then what can it do for somebody else? Mm-hmm. How can I make sure that other people get the same type of not necessarily treatment, but the same type of help that I got? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when you just I, have when to I set was get
1: little kittens around the military exactly. barracks. <laughs> They need to have their litters around the military barracks. Well, tell us about, during the break, I was asking Josh, well, I was suggesting, actually, that he, um, in addition to the work that he's doing with veterans now, that he sort of create some kind of sideline or or get gradually into um, specifically uh, using animals, um, wounded or or stray um, or abandoned animals, uh, as a way to help that. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking that the two of you, Carol and Josh, could stay in touch and um, and sort of have this, uh, what, this kind of niche thing, particularly for veterans. And Josh... First, I think
3: it's a fantastic idea.
1: <laughs> and Josh, you were then starting to say about your, what your dream is in regard to that
3: yeah I mean when I think about it i I know my background, my degree is in counseling and and no, just generally with mental health but i in the position I am in right now with the the laboratory and think tank that I work at, I work every day with other veterans and they might be working with me as one of my charges, and they might be working with me as a colleague or a coworker, but we all come from a very common background we all are basically from the the largest fraternity anywhere in the world. And we all have these shared experiences with the VA or with our transition from active duty into civilian life. And we're all able to, to converse and tell each other what works and what doesn't work and give each other our own opinions. And over the past several years that I've been working here and working with other veterans, that is one thing that has always come back to me is that, these programs that provide service animals to veterans with PTSD or traumatic brain injuries or, or injuries of, of the physical variety or these other programs where, you know, they're, they're bringing in a random service animal that's visiting veterans who are inpatients in the, in the VA hospital. These are instances when everybody feels their spirits are lifted. You know, even if it's just for a couple of quick pats on the head for the, the random golden retriever walking through a hospital room, that can really affect somebody's life in a, quite a positive way and then when you think about somebody who can you know, maybe take care of an animal for a long amount of time they're really treating that animal as an equal and they know that that animal's helping them the animal of course knows that the, the human is helping them they're getting all the food from them but they develop a relationship and that's really what the key is here is developing these relationships you in transitioning from the military into civilian life you're going from one very different, uh, a very different lifestyle into something that's a lot easier, a lot more laid back. And it takes a lot of people coming out of the military a long time to transition. And if we have somebody who can help us transition, who can, who can really walk us through those different stepping stones, even if it's something like a little cat or a dog, then that really gives us a, a sense of purpose and it really gives us a sense of confidence. So my dream, yeah, my, my dream is to take shelter animals and give them the proper training to work with veterans with PTSD or with TBIs or veterans who might be missing a leg because of a combat amputation. You know, if we're able to provide that type of training to these shelter animals to, to get them out to these veterans, we're really starting to fill up two very key demographics there,
2: mm-hmm. animals that
3: need to be adopted and veterans that need to be That need to get that kind of helping hand.
1: Adopted as well. Adopted
3: by an animal, exactly. (laughs)
1: Like Scout adopted you, basically.
2: Pretty much, Uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Carol, would you like to comment on this?
2: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, rescue animals can help a wide variety of human conditions, and I love the fact that Josh wants to uh, expand how he's doing work with veterans to include animals. We're looking at... um, releasing several more films for Mutual Rescue that cover a wide variety of topics, everything from addiction to autism uh, to grief, um, and it's just amazing. It's obviously Josh's story highlights the impact that can happen uh, for veterans, but uh, it's not limited. It really, there's a wide variety of people that welcoming an animal into their home can really make a difference.
1: Yes, you know, actually... um, uh... I've written books about terrorism, um, helping people cope with terrorism, and um, in fact, I was just in New York uh, exhibiting my books and talking at the book expo, um, and there was, when I was coming home on the plane, there was a, a dog uh, on the lap of a man sitting just right in there in the cabin, not in the, not in a container of any sort, and he, the, the Dog looked so content, and the man looked so content. I'm sure, you know, it was or it was a, a therapy dog of some sort. He had some kind of um, credentials from a therapist. Um, but uh, I started saying uh, one of the things I recommend in terms of helping people cope with terrorism. I'm, I'm not talking about vets necessarily. I'm talking about families or anybody. Um, I recommend that they get an animal, a pet. Because um, while you can feel very alone and scared by yourself um, thinking about, you know, the threat of everyday threat of terrorism, if you have a dog or a cat, for example, to take care of, then that person depends upon you and you stop thinking uh, as much about yourself and your own fears and you think more about taking care of the animal and it's very comforting. So... So, you know, even just uh, besides all of these different types of populations who can benefit, of course, you know, even just the average person in the times that we live in uh can benefit very much from um from having having a loving creature in your house and uh someone who you have to pay attention to taking care of and not just not just thinking about yourself. Well, I want to, we're kind of coming to the end here, I want to give out the, um, the website for Mutual Rescue, which is www.mutualrescue.org. Mutualrescue.org. There are these two, um, two videos, uh, one of Eric and Petey and one of Josh and Scout, and they are just heartwarming. Um, well, I wish I, you're doing such wonderful work. I want to thank my guests, Josh Marino and Carol Novello, for all the work that you're doing. I mean, man, if, we, if everybody was like you, we wouldn't have wars to begin with, and, we'd, and the animals and the people would be, would be a lot happier. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.